This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, I'm with Josh Bosset and now L. Grover Fricks to gather once again around the fire and wrestle with the radical implications of putting the divine image into practice. Woo-hoo! Yes, here we are. We're, we're really getting close to the end here, and things are about to really get exciting, both because of the content and because L is here. You know, I know when to show up. We're about to start talking about humans. We're about to talk about Salem. I'm I'm excited. Oh, yes. We're getting into it. Saving the best for last. That's right. The last will be first. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And these are definitely my favorite episodes. I mean, they, they build on each other. So this stuff really stretches us in terms of how we can uh, incarnate this whole story God's telling in really profound ways. So without further ado, Brent, will you, uh, will you start giving us the text so we can start chewing on it? And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock, according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Mm-mm-mm. Sounds pretty good. Walking into this recording, I felt like I was going to hide the fact that my voice is feeling a little weird. But Oh, I'm as, loving it. As I read that, I'm like, nope, there's, there's no doubt. <laughs> Something Just is wrong. luxuriate in those yeah. deeper tones. Yeah, oh, it's, it's very sultry. It's, it's yeah. soothing. I like it. I <laughs> like sing it. some Johnny Cash. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need any more of that, really. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll try and go easy on your voice here today. Uh, um, so L just to hip you to the, the way we do this, um, there's so much in this, in the days of creation that we could dive into and, and pick apart the nuances. So the very first thing we do is just kind of identify the major images, elements that uh, God is bringing into creation, messing with, etc., and how God interacts with them. Great. So this one, I feel like it's pretty clear. What is God engaging with? There, there are a lot of actual respond type questions. Right. Uh, everything which has in it a living soul. By the way, just so listeners know, uh, Josh's episodes have not started to come out. So I'm not just like some loser who hasn't listened to any of them. <laughs> it's that I have not had the opportunity to hear what's going on. So, yes, yes. Brent has not 
made them into episodes yet. They are they are bits of sound recordings. Living <laughs> um, in Dropbox bits. somewhere. They are chunks, let's be honest. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're giant slabs. We keep it chunky at Bayma. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> we keep it chunky. I love it. Yep. That's our that's gonna be our mascot, chunky. Yep. <laughs> um so yes, L, as you noted, everything kind of revolves around this idea of Nefesh Chaya, living things, which was introduced uh that that phrase introduced in the previous day although there's a couple subtle changes here but like of the you know if we zoom way way out what like element of creation is this nefesh chaya associated with what element of creation is associated with nefesh do you mean like classical elements like are we going greco-roman here with the air or you well i i would say what what's in the text what is the how does the how do how do we get this nefesh chaya How does it come to us? Oh, uh, well, later in the story, we'll see that God is going to breathe into Ha-Adam, into Uh the person. Um, But let's see. Um, I knew Elle was going to be trouble. She she is going so (laughs) deep into this. Usually everyone is just mouth agape trying to figure it out. But yeah, you're going into this. Well, you're on the right track, though. Okay, great. Well, you tell me if we're not uh, being Greek here about our four or did they believe in four or five elements? That's a different thing. Anyway, that's a good question. Go ahead. The fifth element came in with Bruce Willis. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Elucid said for sure. (laughs) You have to pay attention to the humors. Earth, fire, Bruce Willis. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So God says, let the earth bring forth this Ah. this Nefesh Chaya. And if we remember kind of the, the cycle of creation, we know we have a day one light day two water day three the dry land and we see that repeated the stars bring light the uh, birds and fish are associated with the water and the heavens that was created between them and now we have the earth can you remind me what verse that is uh verse 24 24 okay sorry my translation i made aesthetically beautiful without verses and i regret it every day <laughs> okay um da, ba, 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 ba. oh there it is Ha'aretz. okay yeah the mm-hmm. land okay mm-hmm. look at that he's telling the truth <laughs> not starting out by baldly lying that's always great Oh man, I love. I I hope I get called a liar at some point on this episode. I hope we get that far into it. I okay. I well, we'll see what happens. So we have we have the Earth coming out again. Now, if we remember day three, we have lots of images of community of community in this chaotic form as waters being gathered, and once it's gathered, it suddenly appears. Interesting use of words back in episode three. It appears as dry land um community that is solid just kind of springs up when you get people together gathered mm. and not only that then god goes further and says not only is that stability good in and of itself it is further good in that that land brings forth the first kind of life we saw plant life things that can uh bear fruit and that fruit creates new life after it and actually that uh is important because if, as I mentioned, day five talks about uh, nefesh chaya, beings that are alive, um, but there is something that it adds in this day that is that is different. 
that we uh, would remember from day three of creation, that these are beings that uh, are alive and are according to their kinds. Right. Um, which was something kind of unique. Um, and what's interesting is after this, we are introduced to kind of three kinds of animal life. Um, we have the, uh, these uh, herd animals, we have creeping things, and then this very general like beasts of the land, other like four-legged things that aren't like, you know, cows and deer and sheep and aren't like little, you know, critters and lizards and such. And what I think is interesting and what, what I think we should notice if we look back on these three days of, you know, God filling creation after the first three days of God separating and creating space is that each time God fills creation, he fills it with three things. You know, first we had sun, moon, and stars. Mm -hmm. And then in day five, it talks about the, uh, the small moving creatures in the water and the birds and the big, uh, you know, the massive sea giants, three things in the water. And Nessie. Yes, messy. Exactly. Not always the same. You know, you have birds and fish <laughs> in community with each other. Right. Um, and you have sun, moon and stars also very different. Um, don't even run on the same cycles and clocks and always very messy. But that three reminding us that whenever God fills space, God is always filling it with threes with community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very, very important um, when we're, especially when we jump over into the Mishkan. So that's point number one. The earth community is bringing forth more community, kind of like before, um, you know, having this this reproductive thing. We're being reminded of that. It's it, There are kinds and things that reproduce themselves. Right. And God saw that that was good. That was good in and of itself. And then just like the previous uh, third day dealing with the earth, God doesn't stop there. There's another chunk. Okay. Well, before we move on, I have a question. <laughs> yes. Contrasting to day three. Day three, it says, let the land produce vegetation, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And it was so the land produced vegetation, blah, blah, blah. And God saw that it was good. Mm-hmm. Day six let the land produce living creatures, blah, blah, blah. Yes. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, blah, blah, blah. Yes. And God said that it was good. So what happened there? Did the land not do a good job the second time? (laughs) (laughs) Or (laughs) That's a a great question. Uh, Am I missing something? Is there some something behind it in the Hebrew that... uh, uh, I would highlight the the word mina which is the word that we usually have kind right um is has to do with portioning out um and we've had this craftsmanship image throughout this whole chapter um which i'm sure at some point josh touched on um and so he's kind of setting out these different categories um like pottery like he's portioned out okay this part is going to be this and this part is going to be this and the uh there the land bringing something out is different than actually forming it which is more implied again a kind of a pottery like image in yas so god the earth brings forth the stuff perhaps that he's going to sculpt into being and then god's the one who actually makes it um but i'm sure that's just one kind of many different ways to 
to talk about why it's just so and then good. Maybe it hadn't been made all the way yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's really great. And I, I think like I, I absolutely agree with that. And I, I think um, like on a more practical level, it's it, it's a way of, you know, like you said, the, these are fully formed creatures. You know, when you look at a plant, it's like, uh, especially, you know, not to be primitivist, but like pre-science, <laughs> it's like, is it a living thing? Is it not a living thing? Is it, is it part of the ground or not? It's, and, and there is, even today, we distinguish between plant life and animal life as, as different modes of life. Um, you know, that's why, you know, there are vegans and vegetarians because we except don't. Except for fungus, they're right there in the middle, freaking. Except me for off. fungus. <laughs> oh no, I think fungus are friends. I love those guys. Oh boy, I'm, I'm, I'm with L. I'm with L. Something <laughs> happened in Brent and I's ancestral past where our ancestors were like, mm-mm, mm-mm, "Don't mess with that." <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, other than that, it, it is interesting that it uses that same word tutse, like to talk about them, the plants and the animals, right? Yes. But then they, and, and they do like, you know, if you're just looking at an animal, it lives and moves and breathes independent of the earth, right? It's mm. not like a plant where it's attached to it. It actually has its own thing going on. And well, and so if I you think ask the a... Buddhists, though, they wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the earth, right? Because oh, we all have to course. eat what comes out of the earth. Of the circle the... of life. Oh, yes, exactly. Exactly. I feel like we've gotten into the weeds. <laughs> Like, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I knew no no I'm very glad. I knew this was going to be wild having us two on this and I'm this is everything I hoped it would be. Excellent. I'll still try to rate it back. <laughs> so, Brent, does that answer your question? Does it bring up new questions or can we move on to the second half of this day? Uh I think we can move on, but I'm okay. still I'm still intrigued by the by the difference there, but yeah, I think I have some some uh ways to go about thinking about it. Absolutely. Okay, so then um, when we get to the second half of this day, I think it, it pr- it's pretty clear to anyone listening to that that we're into some very new territory here. We have a lot of weird repetition and we have God uh, doing a lot of self-reference, um, which isn't really anywhere else in the story. Um mm. So first we have this idea of God's image, which uh, we touch on in uh, my guest appearance on L's series, hey. this idea of tselem, of of uh, God's image. That's the word for image. And it's, uh, you know, more literal ideas like a, a, a shadow um, is like the most literal, as I understand it, L is yes. probably going to, okay, at some point I'm going to get corrected by L in this episode and I'm going to learn something. But um, what's interesting is when God is like, internally uh, uh, discussing this creation of Adam, of the the human, Um, God doesn't just talk about image. God adds another word, which is the word demut. And I have no idea if L has some crazy insights on this. (laughs) But uh, in the text, uh, and I'll get to this in a little bit, demut is, right, so let's just dive into it. Demut means likeness, which... When I hear those two words side by side, what pops into my head is like, you know, if you talk about a shadow, like you're looking at like the the contour, the silhouette of something, um, just its kind of basic shape. Like when we say something is is humanoid in shape, it's like it's it's got two arms, two legs, head on top of shoulders, like kind of looks 
like a human. Mm -hmm. And that is different from likeness. Um, the next time we see this word for likeness is when it talks about um, Seth being in Adam's likeness. So to me, this is pulling at more like not just general shape, general similarities, but rather like there's something you're like, oh, this 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 carries the um, the the personhood almost. This bears a familial resemblance to God. Yeah, I think the undercurrent in both words like tzedem is definitely about shadow. Um, and I like the way you're distinguishing between general outline and then all the features. But, you know, shadow, as we talked about in our shared episode um, and my series, shadow so often is a motif for protection. Mm -hmm. Right. And so in this first word, part of under the wings of Adonai, we were created. And then with the mood, it's and we are made like um, his children. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think there's more and other ways to look at it. But I think that's one helpful, um, helpful one to utilize. Yes. Now, what's interesting is when God actually creates a human, it's very different. We hear God created humanity in his image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. We hear image repeated, but we do not see the word demut anywhere in there. Hmm. This is very interesting to me. Why do we have demut just kind of disappearing when it comes time to actually make humans? And also, why do we see tzillim being repeated twice? A very interesting thought, which I need to supplement with another little Hebrew insight, which um, last episode we talked about the word bara. And how we see that at the very, very, very tippy top beginning of the creation story with just the broad God created the heavens and the earth, right? Something rather than nothing. And then we see it again with uh, the beginning of animal life with the fish, the, the, the sea giants are given like this distinct, uh, you know, what we might uh, in our Western context think of as true, like ex nihilo creation, like all of a sudden something totally radically new is happening. Hmm. And right here, when God creates humans, that word appears three times right in a row. Triple as cool as a sea monster. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Which, honestly, that's pretty great. Yeah. But also, like, cool. three doesn't seem like a, like, I mean, we have, we have this theme of doubling, right? We have Tsela mentioned twice. We have a day that has two halves to it. And... Mm -hmm. We're given to it was goods. In fact, we have it was very good. So this three, this triple repetition to me kind of stands out even like above that. Like there is a big emphasis. I feel like God's really drawing our attention to this precise moment. Yeah. And man, there's so many things we could say. I think we could go really deep into like the double tselem and the distinction that's made here of God making humanity in God's image. And then... Mm -hmm the distinction after that of male yeah, and female mm -hmm. and this like equality of divine image. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, and I'll just, I'll just say w what I hear in this and L I would love your uh, thoughts. Yeah, totally. What I hear in this is God saying, I want to make humanity in my image and look like my children have my features. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to make them with my image, but that, that demut is something that is 
worked out. In fact, the word bara is like that ex nihilo, that thing that's just boom, made. When Mm. God says, let's make them in our image and likeness, it's the word asa. It's it's a squishier process. Mm -hmm. We have to work out those features on our own face, on our own soul as we live. I love that so much. I, I got like many chills. So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, and here's one of the reasons I love it so much. Uh, other than that, like tension that runs the whole way through scripture of God does something and also personal accountability, right? Or responsibility. One of the reasons I love that is that this word, the mut, um, comes up, uh, comes up in, recent archaeology they found in i think it's egypt i i didn't know i would be talking about this today so i don't have it right at hand sorry brent but they found um they found texts talking about the kings of i believe egypt um and when they're talking about you know we all know the the kings of egypt are like the personification of that god in the world right um and so it's uh, a motif potentially from that time of having to do with um rulership which is also a theme mm-hmm. in the story so it's mm-hmm. not just that we look like god and we're part of god's family and we're made under his protection but also uh, the part that i love there when we walk it out we are invited to walk into this co-regency with God on the earth, right? Mm. Um, this mm-hmm. royal priesthood, I'm sure you're going to loop it on in when we jump over to talking about the Mishkan. But um, specifically that word, uh, culturally, you know, we've layered so much. Well, what does it mean to be in the made of the image of God? You can look at the Wikipedia article. It's a very long <laughs> thing of like, well, Karl Barth says this and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, but culturally, it looks like it has to do with... Um, uh, that's a phrase that was applied to to kingship. Um, and mm. so the idea that we're not walking in our kingship unless we do some of that work ourselves, um, I love. Absolutely. I, I love that idea. And I think that is really important, too, especially with the kind of inside the text parallel with Adam and Seth, where like not only is... Seth, like, you know, literally his uh, child, but like Cain is kind of cut out of the family lineage. There's like also maybe a little bit of an inheritance, like carrying on your father's legacy that happened through Seth, not through Cain. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, man, I really love that. And and I think that's a great thing to keep in our heads as we move into the last part of this day where we do talk about, as you said before, like rulership and uh, rulership. Is that a word? Sure. Now it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, So actually, yeah, let's, let's move into that because there's something else really interesting here. So um, we are, uh, we encounter blessing again, just like what we saw on the last day. Um, Very similar being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth. Then we have, you know, subduing it and ruling over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every living thing. Once again, another three, all living things. Um, We're invited to see all of creation as a community that we are uh, uh, ruling over. And 
Now, I, I and this is where if there, if there is anything interesting, I'll jump in here. But um, one of the things I noticed when looking at the, the language around uh, ruling over or subduing is that it has this idea of like walking upon something or walking over something. Mm-hmm. Yep. And here's what's interesting to me. God creates this kind of um, very basic hierarchy, right? Humans up here you know, birds, fish, animals underneath. But what's very interesting is after that, um, verse 29 onward, God gives the right to, um, to, to be nourished equally, right? The, Mm -hmm. the plants are given Mm -hmm. to humanity and to animals equally. They, they have equal right to be nourished. And I think that this is a really, interesting dichotomy, especially when we think of it in terms of this, um, you know, very Jewish idea of like, you know, we were created, we we're created on the same day as the animals. And, and a lot of times um, in Judaism that, uh, that what, what they would call the sinful inclination rather than the sinful nature, which I really love that distinction better than ours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, They associate it with the part of our soul that is an animal that like, like animals, needs to eat, needs to sleep, needs water, mm-hmm. uh, on and on and on. And that sin is rooted in when those needs um, get twisted or overextended or, you know, et cetera. We, I think we all can imagine that. Right. And to me, God is creating this dichotomy where, like, we need to be above that. Mm. However, at the same time, we need to honor those needs as equal with our own like mm. like our bodily needs Ooh. uh are not something that we should just treat as lesser you know right. like that this is not what god wanted like this god didn't want a hierarchy with like this firm floor between everything we are walking above but alongside like we we eat together with all of creation with the animals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something really important there. I love that. Um, I love talking about uh, the conception of sin as a valid need fulfilled in invalid ways. Right. Um, and that's, I, that's what echoes in my mind as you're talking about that. Um, the only, and I don't really want to get in the way of that teaching because I like it so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. I think it's still valid, uh, you know, that word Rada. Um, we get the up to down picture, the like hierarchical piece, largely from the Arabic, um, where it oh, has to do with trampling down. Um, however, also in Hebrew, I love whenever we find something that conflicts with the standard translation because a good translation has to accompany a compass, all of the meanings. Right. And so it makes us pause for a sec. It's also used for when we're drawing out something. So drawing out bread from the oven, or it's also used in judges drawing out honey from the comb. And so when I think about like, what is good rulership, right? It's not like Mm. necessarily stomping around and breaking down (laughs) obstacles. Although, hey, maybe that's involved as long as you're actually breaking down obstacles, not the people you're supposed to be (laughs) helping, right? Uh, But true good leadership, rulership um, 
has to do with drawing out what's already good, what's already there and bringing it out of the Mm. oven into the light, right? Bringing the honey out to where it can be enjoyed. That's already naturally there. Um, And so that's the only (laughs) little screw I throw in things. No, I love that. I I think that makes it better because I honestly, I like that that double-sidedness, I mean, it fits with this kind of, you know, us having to work on the demut part, because mm-hmm. when I think about it and it's like, okay, uh, you know, I'm hungry and my neighbor mm-hmm. has food um, and, you know, maybe he doesn't have enough to share. Do I go over there and, you know, uh, beat him over the head and steal his food? Or <laughs> do I, do I trample down and say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Like there are times where we do need to do a little trampling on ourselves. Not, uh, not in a, uh, kind of like what you said in, in a way of like, this is an obstacle toward me, um, living out the story, not like, oh, I'm a, I'm a piece of trash who doesn't deserve to have my right. needs fulfilled. But right. just there's, there's times where we've got to put a hard no right. on that animal need, right. uh, even if it is a legitimate need. Like there are times where, I mean, that's the whole thing of Christ. Sometimes we have to actually sacrifice really legitimate needs. Mm. Um, but ideally, and I, man, I'm so glad you knew that connection because I had no idea, but that idea of I like, ultimately we would be drawing it out and, oh man, th- man, th- th- we'll have to come back to this on our cane episode. Cause <laughs> yeah, ooh, ooh. cutting a little bit closer to maybe church culture. It's like if your neighbor needs food, right? The rada that's just trampled down would be like, why don't you have food? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, let don't, me come over and tell job. you, you're not working hard enough. You have one job, we'll pick up another. Or, you know, why haven't you negotiated a better pay raise? Like, <laughs> yes, giving them the $100 bill or whatever that's got like the oh, gospel. Oh, the tract on it. Oh, gosh, my favorite Uh, versus a good co-regent of God, a good vice regent of God instead comes to that person um, and says, I see the immense value that is within you. I see the potential that is in you, not in a paternalistic way, but I see that you are, uh, you know, honey within a comb and let me help um, bring that out. Um, and acknowledge and affirm and empower what's already there. Absolutely. And I feel like that fits pretty well with the the theme of craftsmanship as well. Mm-hmm. Like right. Knowing when to draw the honey out, knowing when to pull the bread out of the oven. Right. Being able to recognize, you know, the potential in people and knowing when to call them out and when to when to just support them in the moment. That's so good. And I, I love that, Brent, because I, I love that connection because now who is the craftsman in what you just said? We are. Right. We are being invited to partner in that and say, okay, you try your hand at this. You try. And man, oh gosh. Yeah. The, the whole, um, <laughs> governing and, and, uh, but at the end of the day, like when it comes down to basic needs being equal mm-hmm. and, Oh man, like I, I, hell, I'm going to reference our last episode. It ended with God, uh, telling the priests, like, you are supposed to remind them that I brought them out of Egypt just so I could dwell with them. Mm. And like, now we are called to do the same thing with creation to say at the end of the day, like you are drawing out, you are ruling and, and maybe even pressing down when you need to. Um, but that is so that you can just live alongside them and, and flourish and be nourished by the this beautiful creation that is very good. So good. 
הכל טוב, טוב מאוד. All right, now it's time for the Mishkan. Let's flip on over to Exodus 30. This is going to be a wild... Um, this may not be uh, anything like what we expect, because, yeah, the, the Torah gets pretty funky here. So, <laughs> Brent, why don't you go ahead and read that first chunk? Make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. It is to be square, a cubit long and a cubit wide, and two cubits high. It's horns of one piece with it. Overlay the top and all the sides and the horns with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Make two gold rings for the altar below the molding, two on each of the opposite sides, to hold the poles used to carry it. Make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Okay. So we have a problem here. Yeah, we do. Why is this coming to us now? Uh, just being honest, I've translated all of Genesis. I've only translated about half of Exodus, and I'm not familiar with this passage. Uh, I am reading it in the Hebrew here, and I'm already, like, thrown off because, like, <laughs> Brent read horns, and the word horns isn't there, and I certainly don't know the context, so I feel like a turtle that's been flipped over. So. <laughs> wait, wait, I, doesn't it say Karnotav car- there at the end of verse 2? It does say that, but, um, it also says Mameinu, one of the times that Brent said horns. So uh, oh. I'll have to I'll have to center myself here, flip the turtle back on over. So why don't you tell okay. us about the context okay. why, while I so, sort myself out? If we're thinking in terms of uh, uh, the rest of the Mishkan, um, we have an altar made of wood covered in gold. Uh, what is like image wise? What does that bring to mind? In the context of the Mishkan, what else is made of gold? The Ark. Mm-hmm. What else? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the Ark. Oh, I'm enjoying this too much. <laughs> yeah. Me out <laughs> yes, of my depth. Putting, I'm putting everyone on the spot in this podcast. That's great. <laughs> no, I'm here for it. You're, Brent, you were here too. <laughs> the Ark, yeah. The Ark is what I, it was what I would picture immediately. Okay. Um, what, what else? There were, there You've were been other, here the whole time. Uh, there the were menorah? other gold elements. The menorah, yes. Hey, ding, 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 ding. I feel like I need a treat for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if I was there, treats would be dispensed. Oh, excellent. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we've got the menorah, we've got the ark. Uh, Last one was the the shulchan. The the table. The table. Wow, fancy. Is that gold leaf or solid? Yeah, yes. Brent, uh, do you remember when we heard about those parts of the Mishkan? Uh, that was on day one, wasn't it? Day one. It absolutely was. And not only that, like the theme of like gold comes up the most when we're dealing with the day one theme of light. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden we have this. And, and, and it's not just that it's gold. It's also like... Um, as we'll find out shortly, it'll be placed right where all those other three big gold uh, pieces are. Why didn't we talk about this all the way back then? And this is also strange because day three, it's associated with the earth and um, the precious metal that it's associated with. If we think back to day three, it was all about the bronze altar or, you know, copper or brass. I don't know. Um, but that's the the material we would expect to find in this day, and we will find it later on in the chapter. So why do we have this golden altar here? Uh, because humans are so much better than everything else. 
right? Ex- oh my goodness. Yep, exactly. <laughs> okay, exactly. Great. I, I think that's exactly it because we And have, finish the podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> the, the gold light is intrinsically related to God's self-expression. Like, you know, we God mm. created everything, light and mm. dark, but God didn't say, let there be dark. God said, right. let there be light. That was the first, and, and that was the purest God's expression to creation line. There was no additional, and then God made the light. It was just Boom. God's speech itself is light. was light. Uh, I love That's that. who God is. Mm. And so now we see this echo of that with the bronze altar. So yes, it is important to realize bronze altar is supposed to be humans, us. We are expressions of God's image. Um, and we could even like, whereas with the ark, uh, you, you, we saw gold on the outside and the inside mm-hmm. and the menorah is made of solid gold. Mm-hmm. Here we have something that's gold on the outside, not on the inside. And I think right. that speaks to that Selim versus Demut mm-hmm. image versus mm-hmm. likeness. Also the the bronze, not to pull a thread on Jesus too quickly, but he sh- certainly <laughs> shows up described as bronze, bronze legs specifically, I believe. Yes, and something bronze lifted up, something, oh, something. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. And I mean, and let's not even get into the fact that the rabbis note that uh, Nachash, the word for bronze, and Nachash is, uh, <laughs> is there, also, there's the correction uh, we've been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm being, I'm, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, we're good. I, I see you, L. We're good. Okay, great. Um, it is, uh, it's gematria is uh, equal to the word Mashiach, but I'm going to drop uh, that there. Oh. That's. Just, that's for another time. The little, rabbis uh, say that. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a little side of of mashed potatoes for the, our main yes, meal here. Yes, exactly. You can, for you all can you enjoy out there looking you for some place to dig, you know, there you go. Have fun. Gematria is a great place. Okay, I have a question for you, Josh. Hopefully it doesn't throw you off guilter. Uh, so it's Zahav Tohar, or Tahor, rather. See, I make mistakes too. So I'm not the, Gold that is pure. I'm not the yes. policeman. Um, uh, is pure, it's, it's the, the the previous renderings of Zahav of golds and the previous chapters in Exodus, is it also called Tahor? Or? I believe so. I believe so. Um, I believe it says Tahor and then it'll often say like of a single piece. Um, so yeah, I, I believe that is. And that would make sense too, because those gold implements are representative of God's presence. So I would expect... Imagine. Yeah, exactly. Um, those three things are three different. Man, I can't wait for you to listen to it and then tell me because I, I am <laughs> honestly, if 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 it would have worked out, I would have had you on every single episode. Would have been fun. <laughs> it would have been, been fun. fun. All right. So <clears throat> so now that we've established just that very basic, like okay, we're we're the this altar is kind of coming out of place. It really kind of messes with the cycles of creation that have been built up through this the previous five days, um, and it it kind of sticking out the way that humans stick out of the story of creation. Um, so now that we've got that established, Brent, let's keep reading. In fact, we're just going to read one more, (laughs) one more verse. (laughs) Put the altar in front of the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant Law before the atonement cover that is over the tablets of the Covenant Law, where I will meet with you. Was that verse five? That was verse six. Six. Okay. That's that's (laughs) weird. The shield isn't, shield is an interesting thing. I don't see any 
word that would mean shield. Um, In verse six. Yeah, me neither. um, But it does say that it is uh, before the uh, before the face of the curtain that is before the ark of the testimony tablet is upon the ark. Yes. Thank you for correcting me upon the ark. Um, And then it also goes to say in front of the cover that is on (laughs) the, uh, the tablets, the testimonies where I will meet with you there. Now here's, what's really interesting because the rabbis almost universally say that the golden altar is outside of the curtain in the, uh, in the holy place, not in the holy of holies. Um, However, like when I read this, it feels like it's the opposite um, because, I mean, it, it twice mentions being before the uh, the ark. And when I hear like it's to the leafne, you know, to the face of the curtain that is across from the ark, to me, that sounds like it's just inside. Um, but I... I could see it being read either way. Mm. And then to complicate matters, um, if I'm remembering correctly, Hebrews specifically says it's in the Holy of Holies. So. Oh, boy. This Come is a on, minor guys. thing, but I, I wanted to throw <laughs> this, you know, give you an alley-oop in case there's something big here. <laughs> I, I do get the, yeah, as I read it, I get the impression that it is outside of the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's because the perspective of the people is going to be from the outside because nobody else is in there. And ultimately, I'm okay with this because, again, it plays with that ambiguous boundary thing of which side of the curtain are we on? Mm-hmm. Um, which side of the Selem Demut tension are we on? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is a great tension to carry with us. And I want to, I just want to emphasize it, um, here before we move on. Um, and unless L has any final remarks, I'd love to hear the rest, you know, just finish out this golden altar portion. Yeah. 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 Um, the word that stands out to me there is the, um, how God describes what he's doing, uh, at that spot. What did your Mm -hmm. translation again say, Brent? Uh, put the altar in front of the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant Law before the atonement cover that is over the tablets of the Covenant Law, where I will meet with you. Meet. Okay, that's super interesting. First off, I feel like shield is incorporating a lot of um, interpretive nuance about like the danger of God <laughs> that I do not appreciate because it's not there in the original, like Josh said. Hard agree on that, yes. Yeah. Hmm. NET hmm. says it's before the Ark. Oh, that's a little bit better. Okay. Um, but and you said it's kind of a covering. Uh, it says, so it says there are two things like Josh said. So it says Lifne, which is um, to the face of, which we usually translate as before. Um, but you could also say in the presence of, and then we also have the, which means over or upon. Um, so that makes it sound like it's like draped on it, but um, who knows? I'm interested in that meat word uh, because when I first glanced at it, I thought that it said where I will know you uh, and I got really excited, but it's not, <laughs> but it is still uh, an interesting choice. It's if I was like our rabbinical friends who all the time change words and just be like, oh, well, it just has this <laughs> yes. letter change. <laughs> yes, it is. It is for the listeners. It's Yad instead of Yada. And right. So it, it is it is literally just it's flipping very two letters. Close. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I like that honestly that's that should be 
an official uh an official thing El but Midrash, what yeah. yeah what it still says though uh, it's still it's still juicy so it's still a good we don't even have to change it to make it good rabbis mm. um but <laughs> but one of the ways that it's used so it's like where i'll make an appointment with you which is where they're getting meat um mm. but it can also be designate or assign and we're like that's kind of weird why does it say that because that's one of the words used for betroth to betroth uh, you so like yes. in exodus 21 it says i'll betroth you to his son um or designate okay. you for her son so it's like at this place we have all the time mm. all this marriage language between god and his people and everything so in front of the hakefer so the hakeferet excuse me feminine um mm. the mercy seat mm-hmm. is feminine um so in this spot is where i betrothed myself to you right mm-hmm. so i like it so if we're uh, i can't remember which day it was but when we saw when we saw god's presence out at the entrance. Yes, that was and that was last episode. If we assume this is in the holy place, like God's just saying, like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna meet you in every part of this whole thing. Like there's no there's no special part of this. I mean there is there is a special part, but as far as my presence is concerned, I'm gonna meet you wherever you're at. Yes. And hang on to that, because boy, if that won't come up again in this chapter. <laughs> Hanging um, on. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, if you want to talk about Adam and Chava being, you know, betrothed to one another, I know sometimes oh, yes. we put that in to try to, you know, make our theology around marriage work out. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just a little bit of shade there. Um, then that would line up, you know, depending on how you work in the chronology of Genesis two into Genesis one. But yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting to me too, though, because it, it is. If I'm reading it right, it's in the uh, it's in the future. I will yes uh, meet or appoint, and um, obviously this is happening. This is you know the Moshe what Moshe receives in those forty days up on the mm-hmm. mountain. Um, right. So you know I don't know I don't know enough about the technicalities of ancient Near East marriage to know if, but it seems like at this point they are already like on a national and that. Uh, uh, metaphorical context they're already like god's already uh proposed and brought israel out and like they're in the middle kind of of the wedding ceremony so Mm -hmm. i would be interested in like is this talking about like continual betrothal or maybe i don't know i'm sure there's a lot of nuance when it comes to those sorts of things anyway is is the hosea thing is that a future tense as well Mm. oh boy i'd have to pull it up Brent I memorized Billings. it in English, not in, in yeah. Hebrew, so I'd have to look. Is Brent that... Billings, ladies and gentlemen. All right. I really hope. <laughs> like, is God just saying, like, uh, yeah, we're going to constantly be in this, like, star-crossed lovers situation? <laughs> you know, oh, I would infatuation. Love that. You're preaching Everything's today, new. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, and that fits perfectly with the idea of demut. Like, you, you have to work out that familial connection constantly like it's not just something that is done like the image of god is like we have that and it's it's secure even like what l brought up with shadow as this idea of protection like that is something god has given us that can't be taken away at all but you know we which is also god's marriage image by the way oh my goodness oh right right right. yes under the under the 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 shade the provision or protection Uh, Okay, I'm looking at Hosea uh, in the Hebrew, and uh, 
it's complicated because <laughs> in Hebrew, tense and time is a circle because uh, their idea of time is different than our idea of time. So you could argue it either way, which means <laughs> you have the freedom. <laughs> it has a reversed vav. Um, Hebrew students out there that makes it kind of past tense, but we usually translate it in future. So <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Don't worry about it. Take it however you want. Freedom. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. I'm giving it to Brent. Brilliant. Brent, good work. Oh. Everyone, everyone listening to the podcast, clap for Brent. He deserves Yay. it. No, that's ridiculous. Let's, <laughs> let's just keep moving. Let's just keep moving. All right. All right. All right. Verse 7. Let's go. Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight. So incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. Do not offer on this altar any other incense or any burnt offering or grain offering. And do not pour a drink offering on it. Once a year, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns. This annual atonement must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering for the generations to come. It is most holy to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a lot of horns is kind of a triggering word now. Is it really horns? Is it really horns? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It is for a very good reason that I love to talk about if you haven't talked about it already. Oh my goodness. I, you know, yeah, go for it. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere after this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. So where my, my children at home are screaming, but uh, I'm not there. So horns, this is a word that we get the name Karen from. So we'll shout out to the Karens of the world who've had a a hard past couple of years, probably, in pop culture. <laughs> yes, there's lots of nice Karens out there. There I know are. So. <laughs> there are. It's my one of my grandmother's names. So, um, yeah. So, uh, what's important about horns? Where did they sh- first show up in the story, gentlemen? Oh, is it? Uh, I would guess uh, the Akeda would be. Yes, you're right. Nice. Saved by the belt, Brent. <laughs> he was staring at the ceiling <laughs> contemplatively. Um, okay, yeah. So the the horns of the animal are caught in the thicket. We've got some amazing early um, Christian art and Jewish art um, in the catacombs about this first image of salvation, right? This supernatural interference um, to deliver Yitzchak um, from certain death. Uh, and so when people were buried, it was one of the first ways that they identified with their faith was painting on the catacomb walls, these uh, pictures of various animals being stuck by their horns in a thicket. Um, And then when we think about the various words that make up God, so El or Elohim, um, which is a whole different podcast, but um, the root there comes from the word for strength. And there is a million words for strength. uh, That's an exaggeration, but in Hebrew. And (laughs) there are are a lot of them. (laughs) There are. uh, And the specific one has to do with a strength that comes from being twisted together. So we think about old trees that have lasted for like 300 years and are all bent over and twisted and gnarly and excellent. Um, And then we also think of the strong twisted together horns of the antelope that run all over Yisrael um, and other animals who bash their horns against um, all sorts of stuff. And so it's like when we hear the actual word horn rather than el or il or ail, the different ways it gets spelled, um, it's evoking God 
and his deliverance specifically. I love it. Okay, sweet. That would have been very handy uh, in our <laughs> previous <last> episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, just edit me in wherever. <laughs> we, we were not lacking for content in previous episodes. I've, though, I've so. heard. No, no, no. Yeah, I've heard. Okay. There you go. The end. All right. Yes. Horns, strength, the strength of deliverance. I love right. it. One thing I'll point out is that uh, this place uh, or the uh, the altar is uh, called Holiest of Holies, Kodesh Kadashim, which is also what the bronze altar was just called in the last chapter. Oh, no. um, yeah. Uh, so God has kind of taken those categories that were created back in day two and with the the curtains and uh like brent alluded to kind of messing with them and saying actually i'll just show up wherever i darn well please um but i think at the same time it's like why is god inviting us to see that here and um uh so just to back up to the the beginning of that um another thing we should remember from last episode is the tamid offering the constant day and night rhythm of mm. offering and if we'll remember that was uh, or actually brent do you remember what kind of sacrifice was brought morning and evening uh nope <laughs> <laughs> Radical it honesty. was a burnt offering burnt offering. uh the offering that is completely burnt up that that does not directly give atonement but is uh symbolically in involved in the repentance process it doesn't give atonement for intentional sin but it can be used as part of uh symbolically like helping yourself change looking toward real transformation and it's a way of of inviting everyone at any moment at any moment morning evening there is already a sacrifice you don't even have to bring it you can just repent you can just change god is there to help you with that uh, and what's interesting here oh sorry i'm really excited <laughs> oh <my goodness>. yes <laughs> okay um so this verse seven uh it says morning by morning and then in the english it says when he tends uh, it doesn't say when he tends, you weirdos. Um, not, not you <laughs> yes. guys specifically. The oh, root there gosh. is tove. The root is tove. When he makes the candles good, uh, yes. which certainly brings us back to Genesis. Um, yes. Ugh, I love that. million percent. And, and I think that's why a lot of translations say that it's when uh, the, the priests like trim the wicks, like they're making it good to go. <laughs> but <laughs> that yeah, that's funny. like, you know. It's not an accident when the Torah it's does this, folks. more archetypal than that. Yeah, when it's good, like an altar that is unused. It's not serving the people. It's not telling mm -hmm. people, hey, you are right with God. When we're not doing that, we're no longer good. Oh, I love that. I mean, yes. then you can argue about like essential goodness, but. I think that there's still a teaching. Yes, but in there. if we, for those who have been listening and taking notes from episode one, you will remember that the the lamp is there so that you can take the light God gives you and recreate the Sinai movement for other people wherever you go. So Bye. if we are, if we stop doing that, then yes, things are not good. Okay, I'm sorry, I jumped on your your <laughs> thing there because I got so excited. I'm very glad you did though. Um, because that is definitely one of those little things that I I have been forced to skip over uh, through a lot of the series. Uh, so, folks, there's a lot of good stuff in here. You should study it for yourselves. Um, Blame the length of this episode on me. I'll take it. <laughs> I, I, happily. Um, all right. So 
We were talking about tamid, the constant offering. Now, outside, we have the tamid associated with this burnt offering, this reminder of the the need for repentance and transformation and change, even if it's not necessarily a sin thing. There still might be a need for change that is deep and transformative. And Mm -hmm. what's interesting to me is this is associated with the same rhythm, morning and evening. It's the, the exact same times, but it doesn't say do it when you do those sacrifices. It attaches it to the light it attaches it to the light. And, and we might remember also that the menorah, it is, uh, has all this plant imagery associated with it. And when we think of a plant that is burning but not consumed, we might remember God's call to Moshe. And, you know, being reminded that we're on holy ground. And so when the priests are making that good, remembering their calling, not just to stand at Sinai themselves, but to bring the people of Israel with them. And then after that, for us to bring it everywhere, which especially when you think of Pentecost, uh, which is Shavuot, which is a celebration of standing at Sinai with the fire on top of our heads, we're reminded we can be Mount Sinai. Mm. So what is being said here is that this Tamid, this regular incense offering, is not connected to the sin thing. This is connected to God calling out to us and calling out to to remind us of that moment of, of divine encounter, of betrothal, of that first point where we meet and, and recognize God. Ugh. That and, and that, man... There's a lot we could say about that. Yeah. Um, but the the other, th- I mean, the thing that's important here, we won't actually be able to get to till the very end of the chapter because it's it's connecting that with incense. And we'll get into what incense means later. But hold on to that. Like, there's the rhythm of, you know, looking at ourselves, being self-aware, being uh, maybe not hard on ourselves, but being aware that like, you know, we, we need to be able to, to change and transform and question ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's that rhythm. This is a different rhythm. Yeah. And I think we should be hearing in this that like uh, uh, that, a little bit of that Selim reassurance of like, right. you can always come into this place. Um, and there is a separate rhythm that God is trying to teach us. That's so good. Preaching. Uh, <laughs> tiny addendum here uh, after it says, Tamed, Lifne Adonai. Um, then the English rendering, at least in the version that I'm looking at here, it says, Throughout your generations. Pet peeve. G- the word for generation is Toldot. Like when we talk, uh, I think there's a parasha that's named Toldot, um, and that's connected to Yeled, um, which has to do with the birth. So a generation is marked by like a new series of kids, right? Uh, Dor, which is the root that's actually here, has to do with eras. And it's connected oh. to like um, their cosmology, which has the zodiac linked in, and it's like era after era, you will still be doing this. Um, wow! Which okay. I think is that's really cool. Yeah, I think I it's clearer than generations because, like, well, then what about after this point in time? Mm, no, era after era. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. I, I'm glad you shared that with me because I, I never knew that there was that distinction. There you go. Wonderful. A door of a door. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Okay. Continue. Take us on. 
the next part of this roller coaster. Yeah. The, the only, the one other thing I want to note, just because it'll be, there's kind of a little bit of a chiastic thing going on in this chapter or that we'll see in the very next thing we read, which is that this is, uh, it's atoned on a yearly basis, which even though we know with Yom Kippur, like the whole tabernacle is atoned for, it never mentions that. This is the only place in this portion of text where God is describing the Mishkan where a yearly atonement is mentioned. And I think that is, you know, the, actually, I'm just going to say, chew on that yourselves. Um, <laughs> Brent, take us in. We're, we're done with the golden altar. We'll come back to it later. But what's next for us in this chapter? Uh, did we talk about the uh, this this break in the next verse in, in 11? Like, this is this is all God talking. And then it says, then the Lord said to Moshe. Did we talk about that at some point? Is this like, like talking about, is this transitioning? Are we doing a time jump or yeah. is that kind of where your question is? Yeah, at? yeah, yeah. Um, I know we haven't talked about that. And for the purposes of what we're doing, I'm going to say <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't Aha. matter. The Torah put it here and, um, and you know, uh, for all you listening, you know, we've been talking about the golden altar. Um, you may think you know where we're going next, but, you know, guess again, Brent, <laughs> take <laughs> us into this next chunk. <laughs> okay. Well, as, uh, as intrigued as I am, I will, um, I will submit to the <laughs> cutting room floor and leave this one behind. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moshe, when you take a census of the Israelites to count them, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Then no plague will come on them when you number them. Each one who crosses over to those already counted is to give a half shekel according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 geras. This half shekel is an offering to the Lord. All who cross over, those 20 years old or more, are to give an offering to the Lord. The rich are not to give more than a half shekel, and the poor are not to give less when you make the offering to the Lord to atone for your lives, receive the atonement money from the Israelites and use it for the service of the tent of meeting. It will be a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord making atonement for your lives. All right. Oh, so, boy. yeah. Doesn't this feel disjointed? I mean, hey, we are... are you sure there wasn't a time jump? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's my Sorry. 10 second take on that. Uh, oh, the is a different than say. Amar is our word for say. The var is an extra heavy, like uh, when we say God has a word for blah, blah, blah. It's a extra special thing. It's different than just, oh, yeah, so-and-so told me to, you know, pick up some groceries. It's he has a heavy word. So he could still be breaking up everything else and then kind of like how we'll run into behold. <laughs> it's kind of like a way of saying that he's calling extra attention. This is a word of Adam Nye and then goes for. So you can say it's a time jump or not. That's still up for um, discussion. But that's one way out of, uh, you know, it having to be a time jump. Yes. Continue. And yes. So nevertheless, not only is there kind of a jarring transition here uh, in terms of content, but that linguistically we are being told, Hey, listen to this thing. Right. So why is this here? I mean, we have a very tangential, like this money is used for the the tabernacle, but that's about the only connection to it. Um, so 
First of all, um, when we hear the word census, I think it's important to know that the literal Hebrew phrase is uh, to to raise up the head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that that's, for one thing, evocative. Yes, exactly. Oh, man. It's all going to come back to Cain. Always. Tamid. <laughs> but also, this is uh, this is very strange. I mean, one thing that is in this passage that is very um, evocative of everything we've heard recently, certainly on the uh, second half of the creation story, once we started talking about the priests, is this idea of you need to, uh, when you take a census, also take this half shekel offering so that people don't die, which is something that we heard repeated throughout the uh, the priestly ordination and garments. Um, but uh, what's, why, what's going on here? Um is, is anything jumping out for you, Brent? Shut down. <laughs> Elle was ready to speak. Let, let Elle speak. <laughs> let Elle By speak. All means. Wow. Is that a Rogue One reference? <laughs> Super cringe <laughs> moment. Okay. Um, uh, it was not. I'm, I'm disappointed in myself for not oh, even knowing man, what you're referring it's so to. It's accidental cringe. Oh, oh, yeah. Is, I, She's, that's even worse. Oh, it's bad. They're having that meeting, and someone in the background was like, let the woman speak. Oh, I was like, oh, for heaven's sake. No, I'm just, I don't have any, I don't have anything to offer. So <laughs> okay, that's all I'm saying. Well, I'm so excited. Thanks for uh, inviting me, Josh, because <laughs> I'm like lit up about um, these texts on the Mishkan that I've never looked into before. Um, but to me, it makes sense that it's here. First off, Tisa, which you said um, is lift, which is true, is also our word for forgive um, because forgiveness implies taking on a burden, right? And saying, I'm not going to shove it onto someone else. So that loops into our our atonement conversation that we think of whenever we're talking about the mercy seat. Um, And then B'nai Israel um, and their meeting. It doesn't say their number. It says they're like their meeting, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. And then give every man a kefir. So give them a covering, which is the same word as mercy seat. Mm -hmm. Um, When we think of ransom, it's not just monetary. It's something to cover. Um, And then it doesn't say for himself. It says for his soul, give a covering. Actually, it says covering of his soul. There's no four there so covering of his soul um his nefesh to adonai um when you meet them that there might not be a a plague in their meeting Mm -hmm. which uh so so i still don't have insight on that part but what links them together to me anyway is the the talking about covering there all right so there's a couple of things here first of all yes like the the nefesh thing is huge because if you know that was something that came up quite a bit in day six right and if we're thinking about this in terms of day six and like this role of um counting and ordering and elevating the head to me this seems like it's kind of maybe edging into that mm-hmm. conversation day six was having about rulership uh shoot did i right. make up that word or not i that's the second time all right <laughs> <laughs> uh but yes the they are they are covering over their nefesh um a very interesting idea i i don't claim to understand this but um what i have heard from uh, a dear friend of mine rachel who uh knows a lot more about ancient near east history and culture than i do uh told me one time that uh like you don't like a census is a lot of work 
Um, it, it, it takes a lot of organization to do. Everyone's got to, you know, stop what they're doing so you can keep track of everyone. And, um, you know, especially at a time where like, you know, paper and stuff like that, it's not, uh, super easy to, to come by. Like this is, this is a lot of work. So Mm -hmm. why are we doing this? And one of the really common reasons would be to get a sense of what your fighting power is, um, Mm -hmm. which is why it usually has a, not just only counts men, but only counts men that are between like 20 and 60 is usually what they do. Which is why it's Satan's idea when he's talking to David and Chronicles. Exactly. He's saying, Hey, (laughs) just, just check, uh, just, you know, put that gun in your back pocket just in case. Please never put a firearm in your back pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, uh, So yeah, there's, and here's what I'm wondering that whole conversation we had about being, uh, you know, rulers of creation and that Mm. distinction between stamping down and drawing out. Uh If you are checking to see like, okay, can we like, do we have enough military force to take on this other group of people that God says, okay, stop. If you're doing that, I'm going to bring a plague among you unless everyone gives a little offering to the Mishkan to Mm. remind us, why are we here? Mm. What are we doing in creation? Are we going out to fight to, to preserve, to, to keep people safe? Or are we doing it to expand our empire or, you know, there's a lot of questions and God is bringing them back to what's the purpose of you having power in creation, period. Right. Like, what is that power for? Which, man, that goes really well with what we talked about on your podcast, Elle. Yeah. Two kinds of power. Right. And in verse 16, it really ties that together because it's saying it's for the service uh, of yes. the tabernacle of meeting um, and and to be a zikron, a memorial to make atonement. So it's very specific about what it's for down there in 16. Exactly. Remembering and, and like it says to cover over your nefesh, your soul spirit, but also nefesh having kind of the sense of an animating force. Um, mm-hmm. We're told that the nefesh is in our blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this idea of remembering that our lives are also, you know, fragile, that um, before we go and take other people's willy nilly, uh, we need to really meditate on why we were given life in the first place and our relationship to not just see human lives as equal, but like God said, to see the needs of humans and animals to, in terms of their relationship with the uh, food to be equal. Um a very challenging thing to think of before just being like, well, we got to go uh, slaughter the bad guys because they're bad guys. You know, that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said willy nilly, by the way, <laughs> team willy nilly over here. Join, join the crew. Yes. Willy nilly in all things, but, but um, violence. <laughs> right. so that is a, <laughs> that gets a no on the willy nilly uh, yeah. <laughs> department. Absolutely. Um, the other thing I think is really interesting. Well, first I should say the rabbis also say this is something that was supposed to happen yearly, which I, I don't know who knows, but it does make sense that you would like have a yearly offering for the upkeep of the tabernacle. So that right. part of it kind of makes sense to me. Um, and I think it's super important here. Like, like we said, there's a connection between this passage and not just the regular creation cycle, but also day one. And if we remember back to the very beginning of the 
the Mishcon project, everyone was bringing these free will gifts of just gold and all, all these precious things. And we have to imagine that some people have more than others. And so they brought more, they contributed more. And what's interesting is here, this is the part where it says, you bring this as your offering for the temple service, the service of the temple, and it's equal for everyone. Like right. no one is considered to have been more uh, uh, involved in the creation of Mish the Mishkan than anyone else. Not right. even, you know, not Moshe, not Betzalel, who will, you know, meet next time. I love that so much because when you go to modern buildings now and also true in the Greco-Roman era, right, it'll have like the name of the building is the blah, 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 blah building. And so when you go in, you're like immediately reminded of that hierarchical difference of like this person gave so much. And so this building is like honoring them in perpetuity. And God's like, nope, that's not happening with the tabernacle. I don't care if you have more to give than other people. Yes. Your contribution is the same as everybody else's when it comes to being in the presence of God, which if we transfer that over to our culture, you know, Christian church culture, mm -hmm. <laughs> that would be super helpful. The, you know, the pastor is contributing the same amount as the person setting up chairs, as the person who is, you know, doing slides, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's also that same thing also kind of flips around when it comes to like, you know, the, the plague side of it, where it's like, God doesn't see anyone as more expendable than anyone else either. Right. Oh, um, that's good. So the one last thing I want to bring up is um, <clears throat> the, the half shekel. Like why, a half, why that specific amount, you know? Mm -hmm. And maybe there's a reason that you can think of, uh, L, um, but, uh, well, one thing that's interesting is this word half is going to come up in a little bit. So keep your ears open for that. But it reminds me of that whole thing we were talking about in Genesis one with the Tselem of it being repeated twice. And, uh -huh. um, what I like about this is that it's not a whole shekel. Like you're not giving an entire thing. You're giving a piece of a thing. Mm -hmm. Like your contribution is a small piece of a bigger thing. In fact, it's not even a whole shekel. It's a half shekel. It needs the, the additional support of everyone else. Right. Um, and I think when we, uh, especially when we think of God's image, it's very easy for us in our, you know, Hellenistically informed, individualistic perspective to see that as like, yes, I have God's image in full. You have God's image in full. Brent has God's image in full, which I would say is true. I would right. co-sign that. But also, it, it that's also not true. Like, we don't get the full image of God if we just look at any one individual person. We right. only have a portion of it. Oh, that's so good. I love that, which goes back to that midrash about the creation of Adam and Chava. Yes. Is is the shekel the smallest unit of measure that they had? Well, I mean, or it I, means I weight. The, it's yeah. so it's kind of a catch all for currency, you know? Yeah. And I mean it it mentions the gera, which is um twenty oh, gera yeah. is a shekel. So you know, the Gera, we already yeah. know, is smaller. Right, which right. I know okay, never mind. Gera, I think, is connected to the word for, like, chewing the cud. So I mm. I have no idea. Fascinating. <laughs> no idea. Fascinating. Um, yeah. So um, 
But that's really all I have on the census. Um, so let's keep moving before we find something else interesting. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> My eyes are starting to alight. So go on. <laughs> go on. Quick, quick, quick. All right. So Brent, let's uh, let's pick up with we're, we're finally getting to the uh, the the bronze part of the uh, or copper or whatever it is the the nechushet uh, uh, in. Uh, starting in verse 17. Then the Lord said to Moshe, make a bronze basin with its bronze stand for washing, place it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by presenting a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for the generations to come. Nope, heiress. <laughs> mm, for the heirs to come. Mm-hmm. A lot of death prevention going on in the last few little bits of passage. Almost here. like in the creation story where it'll mm-hmm. go anyway. <clears throat> but that's... Mm-hmm. Walk us through it, Josh. So, first of all, um, like I mentioned earlier the uh the bronze uh we, we first see the bit first like big bronze thing in the tabernacle is the bronze altar and what i think is really interesting is like even just visually the bronze altar as we described then it's kind of like you know take a cardboard box flip it upside down and put it on top of a pile of dirt and rocks that's kind of the way the altar worked and so now we have a bronze implement and it's kind of flipped over and not only that it contains water which uh is interesting because in the uh day three we were talking about that image in the inverse that water is being gathered together to create the dry ground the stones and the earth that fill the the body of the altar and that that um that fruitful place where worship and reconciliation and all the fruits of god's kingdom come out of that finding a group of people wherever God brings you. Here we see it inverted. The that bronze thing, it's not containing something underneath it. It's containing something that it, it's cupping and instead of it being earth, this time it's holding together water and what is that water cleansing? Uh hands and feet. Hands and feet of what? Uh, Aharon and his sons. Yes, and Aharon and his sons are human, yes? <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so. And, and if, we re- story. <laughs> if we remember day six, what does that mean about what they're made of? Uh, well, they built the pyramids, so they're actually aliens. Sorry. <laughs> they're made out of dirt yes they're made out of dirt so now we have the inverse this isn't water being gathered to create dirt it's dirt Mm -hmm. being cleansed by passing through the water water. that's so good Uh, it also says that says give which shows up in genesis 1 instead of place which is a different word exactly which in in genesis 1 that that's also used when god is placing the actual sources of light and i think there's a couple times that uh natata comes up in the mishkan and man i i one of those things that would have been very (laughs) second like reference you're welcome (laughs) you tell i'm a millennial i'm sorry everyone (laughs) 90s kids are going to get l stuff (laughs) (laughs) um so all right so we have that kind of inversion but you know 
this inversion isn't just to uh, do a cool thing. Here's what's also cool about it. Um, it. The text goes out of its way. It doesn't just say Aaron and his sons will, you know, wash their hands and feet in it, which hands and feet of the priests. You might also think of what we talked about in last episode, which I won't go into here. But um, <clears throat> when they're doing this, they're told to do it uh, two times. When When is that, Brent? I'm putting you on the spot. When do they have to wash their hands and feet? Uh, when they enter and when they approach the altar. Yes, both directions. When they come out from the tent to serve at the altar, they wash their hands. When they are preparing to go back into the tent, they wash their hands, which again kind of gets back to this thing of like, you know, where's the Holy of Holies? It's inside, it's outside. Where is God? God's at the door. God's mm-hmm. inside. God's with the, you know, the, the, um, the incense, you know, all, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, it's all holy. And, and we noticed last time that the sat God talks about the sacrifices happening at the entrance to the tent because of that doorway imagery, even though it's not, you know, literally a door, uh, cause it's a tent. Uh, but, uh, that entrance point is, is really important for understanding like the way God is dividing up and then subverting that division of space. Now, what's happening here, like, like to me, what this brings to mind is like, it is Jacob's ladder. It's like, it's this thing that no matter whether you're going up or down, like you have to pass through this water, which if we remember water and day two, that should um, be ringing some bells that, that no matter which direction they're going, they have to pass through the water. And what I like about this is that, um, as priests, we have this really interesting, unique thing. Not only do we have an inversion of this earth and water relationship that we first saw with the uh, with the altar, the bronze altar. So that's been turned upside down. And uh, we also kind of have a little bit of day two sprinkled in here about that, that uh, kind of permeable barrier that whether um, water is going up or down, if it's going to traverse that gap, it has to pass through Shemaim, through heaven. Um, and water, the water in the copper basin is playing that role, which is interesting because in kind of the ordering of creation, water is like a step down from the dirt. The dirt is like what the water turned into that was an improvement that God called Tove. And I think this is so, so interesting. This is to me, if we look back at uh, day six in Genesis, this is the humans and the animals eating alongside each other because God's telling the priests like you're up here on this solid dry land you you're the birds who get to fly in the heavens you you are the living in the place where there's this fruitful dry land um there's a lot of people out there who are living just in the water just in the chaos um they don't have all those same benefits they don't have all of that in the same way that um you know the animals that just wander around like they're underneath Adam and Chava and humanity. And there's this moment where God says, even though you are above them and having a very important role, you need to eat alongside them. You need to come down to their level. And that's what I see happening here of God saying, you still, you still need to be cleansed. Not just when you're coming back in to be with me, you need to be cleansed when you're coming out from me to go 
to them. And that cleansing, it's like, uh, to me, it's like that. that's the cleansing of of um, what I refer to in, in uh, episode three as raw community, like just the people you see, not the not your community, your people that you have, you know, share culture with and in jokes and all that stuff that makes relationships really fun. There is this kind of um, baptism, this check on where we're going and what we're doing in the service of God when we let it make sure like diligently that we are passing that through raw community that is just living life normally and that has an effect of of cleansing on us as we you know try to be uh this kingdom of priests very isaiah but also very jesus and the disciples right you're going to pass through this water before you go out before i go out right and i'm going to make sure that you're like priests passing through water yeah we could you know, do a whole the, thing. The, like, <laughs> like we keep saying, this is this every time we move forward to the Mishkan at every point, it's like a fractal and you can just keep going down and down and down and down and down or up and up and up. And it, it just keeps folding in and self-referencing. Excellent. So I, I because of that, I'm going to leave that for all you out there in uh, podcastville to do. Um, we are going to move on to what I'm going to call the good stuff. Um, oh, my the goodness. Oil and the incense. <laughs> Brent. Let's go. Uh, I love that we're just getting to the good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Then the Lord said to Moshe, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel and a hin of olive oil Mm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is a bit of a tongue twister Uh, so anything jumping out at anyone uh uh, i'm still thinking about sean connery so just a second (laughs) (laughs) half as much (laughs) (laughs) so first of all oh yes half as much this is the that second use of half which is really interesting because when I'm looking at this text, I don't know if there's some technical Hebrew thing here, Al, but that seems pretty superfluous. Like, why do we need to know that 250 is half of 500? Like, you know, why? Why is that there? Yeah, that does feel odd. I'm so... Uh... Perfectly content to just say 250 shekels of fragrant calamus. Exactly. Exactly. And then jump back up to 500 shekels of cashew without saying... And double that of Kasha. <laughs> exactly. Okay. I'm seeing Asa again, the Asa. Um, mm-hmm. So that's bringing me back to Genesis again, because it's our word for make yes. or do. Very good. Yes. That should always be on our minds here. So the, the 250s are both fragrant things. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to say that there's this uh, little mini chiasm and cinnamon is the, the answer to everything. Yeah. That, I, that's I don't know kind if I can really say that, part. but... <laughs> Uh, I yeah, love the important part is I don't know I, I don't know why cinnamon specifically would be the thing. Um, it's not like I, I don't think I think this is the first time cinnamon is mentioned in Torah. I might it is. I might be you're wrong. right. Okay, yeah. no, you're right. Uh, it's um, it has some 
It has some detox properties, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, at least my crunchier friends have told me that. I don't know if it's actually true, but <laughs> I, I know they do. It does have like some medicinal, like antibacterial properties. Right, right. Um, it also has some delicious properties. That's, <laughs> that's yes, the exactly. real key. The most important yeah. property. Oh man, what, and, what's with the distinction for... about liquid myrrh, though? Uh, because myrrh is resin, and so if it's liquefied, it's still drippy, and if it's not liquefied, then it's solidified. So are they having to do something to the myrrh to get it into this state? I think that means it's fresh. Fresh. Okay. Uh, I'll have to look though. Oh, um, to, to see what's happening there. So I don't know which verse we're in. I'm drowning. Yeah. Oh man. Golly. Sorry. I just saw a detail that is kind of juicy, but um, <laughs> we got to finish. We we've got to finish. finish. Okay. So, <laughs> um, yes, we should just note like, okay, that's weird. We see half again here. If we remember that's connected to the, uh, the half earlier with the, the shekel, which like this particular word for half is really not common in Torah. I think these might be the only two times it's mentioned. Chetzi um, uh, is going to come up again when they when Moshe splits the blood and chucks it on people. Yes, yes. No, and Chetzi and by itself, but uh, the form here is Mechatzit. Uh, uh, so with that I, I mem think on like the front. The, yes, okay. with the mem on the front, the, these two times have it, and I'm not sure when the next is. So anyway, those of you who want to get into the linguistic stuff, there you go. We, we also, I think what's also interesting here is we again have kind of one of God's asides when we are kind of pulling together resources like we saw in day one. And if I'm remembering correctly, we saw that maybe uh, we saw that right before the priests when we get into that second cycle of creation of getting ready to fill the space with uh, the priests and everything they do. So it's interesting here that we are now having God pause again and take like stock, like, okay, we're going to gather these materials in order to do something. And to me, if I'm thinking in terms of day six and God pausing and taking a moment to prepare for the creation of something, mm -hmm. I am hearing God talking about God's own image and the creation of mankind. So... With that maybe in the back of our heads, let's go ahead and read the rest of that chunk about the uh, the oil. Bama, we keep it chunky. We keep it chunky. <laughs> uh, let the record show that I prefer creamy <laughs> peanut butter. <laughs> Verse 25. Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be a... It will be the sacred anointing oil. Then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant Law, the table and all its articles, the lampstand and its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and the basin with its stand. You shall consecrate them so they will be most holy and whatever touches them will be holy. We talked about that. What was that last episode? I think mm -hmm. uh, anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so they may serve me as priests. Say to the Israelites, this is to be my sacred anointing oil for the generations Nope. nope. Errors to come. Uh, do not pour it on anyone else's body and do not make any other oil using the same formula. It is sacred and you are to consider it sacred. Whoever makes perfume like it and puts it on anyone other than a priest must be cut off from their people. Woof. All right. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, unique stuff here. Um, first of all, that bit at the end cut off from people that is the first time that phrase has appeared in this whole dialogue on the, or 
or monologue, I guess, monologue on the Mishkan. <laughs> um, so that's that's interesting. We've talked a lot about people dying, uh, but not uh, people being cut off. It's a uh, first mention from the flood story, by the way. Get it? Yeah. Continue. There's another thing that sticks out to me, which is um, uh, that the uh, oh shoot, oh I'm looking at the wrong page. So again, we have um, this. Oil being made, it's being smeared on everything in the tabernacle, priests included, and that sanctifies them. And again, we bump them into this problem that we kind of came across in the last episode, which was what actually makes things holy? Because first we're told the priests have to wear the clothes so they're holy, and then we're told, oh, it's actually them going through doing all these sacrifices and rituals that makes them holy. And then God ends and says, well, actually, it's my presence that's making everything holy. And now we have oil, and that's what's making it holy like at this point you know it's even weirder because like well you already covered this god you told us that it was actually your presence doing it so mm-hmm. what why are we running around with this oil now if we know it's already holy just because of your presence it's a little bit confusing why bring this up now um and then uh there's a very interesting phrase that uh i feel like in the english it kind of uh glosses over which is um uh that the oil will be holy for me throughout the the eras to come that to me is a really interesting passage the the rabbis mentioned that uh this this phrasing that it's it's holy for me or to me uh mm-hmm. is like indicating that this like not even Moses is supposed to be like oh well I can use it like no it is it belongs to God exclusively and uh what's also interesting is right after that says on the flesh of Adam mm-hmm. uh it shall not be poured and that word there for poured uh yisach is only used here in the entire Torah <laughs> like oh, wow. I I Triple check, Jacinius mentions it in his note, only used here in the entire Torah. I don't know enough Hebrew to know what that means. I don't even think it's, <laughs> I'm not even sure if it's used again in Tanakh. Like, I think this is the one time it's used. So, unfortunately, not a lot of other context to triangulate it with. But it's also interesting because in this same chapter, they do put it on <laughs> the flesh of a person. Right. They put it on Aaron and his children. Oh, maybe it's talking about the like middling space between humanity and divinity. You know, if it's holy to God, mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. supposed to go on something fully. Am I doing your stuff here? Not no, supposed I, to go I on think... something that's fully dirt mm-hmm. after you've been made holy, <laughs> after, you know, we've engaged heaven and earth together. That's when it's okay to put it on. Yes, exactly. And, and I think this kind of brings up the question, like maybe are the priests considered like something more than human? Not quite. I don't know. I don't know. I think you could dig into that and come up with some interesting things. No, no other usage in Tanakh either. This is the one and only. Uh, the one and only. So what is it you're not supposed to do with this oil? I don't exactly know. Pouring it. Uh, this translation says smearing it. Uh, 
I don't know. Where where else is it, L? Uh in feminine form, it's part of the story of Avraham, okay. which I've oh, been no noting way. ding 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 all the way down and and practicing self-restraint, I would like everyone to know. Um like Katura, right, is gonna come up um in the story of Avraham. So anyway, I think there's another layer of parallelisms that we can do oh, at a completely gosh. different time. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my Man, now my my brain's yanking on its leash. It wants to track that down. Okay, that's insane. We're going to finish, and we're going to finish strong. I believe in us. We've got this. We can narrow it down. This is really good. Okay, so... So yeah, we we have a we have this big question of um, why is this specific thing? Why does it belong to God? What is what does that meant? Why why is this distinction being created? And also we have the uh, this other bigger question of um, you know it being put on everything in the altar or in the in the Mishkan mm-hmm. and everything in the Mishkan being declared holy of holies mm-hmm. and being able to like pass on holiness, which is kind of just like okay, so it's is the, is it's just everything the holy of holies like you know what what is <laughs> what is the meaning of that distinction if everything in the tabernacle is is that it reminds me of eden how it's a garden in eden and all the world is god's luxurious delight and the garden is just a part from which we were mm. birthed from to take your uh your reading of that <laughs> yes oh yes I, yes, that's perfect. And that's <laughs> sounded literally... like a maniacal wizard. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Brent laughed too, so I feel okay. Okay, go ahead. No, I feel like I feel like a, a nefarious wizard, like rubbing my hands together up in my yes, tower. Um, yes, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we we cannot get started on Genesis three, my nope. lord. Um, but uh, so so. Here's what I'm feeling when I look at this, which is, first of all, this is something that belongs to God. It goes over the entire tabernacle, establishes all of it as holiest of holies. To me, this is Tzelem. It's God's image, right? And very specifically, are we ever allowed to recreate God's image? No. No. No, it is God's and we have it and it's it's in us, but mm. we can't pour it on anything. Mm. We can't add it to anything human because the human already has the image. And Ugh. to put more on it is is uh, sacrilegious as it says here. Um so good. And and not only that, it like in that sense, I, I, I'm so glad you brought up the whole like covering aspect and protective aspect of it, because mm-hmm. in this sense, when we're talking about the the anointing oil that is the tselem of God, the, the God likeness that we inherently have as human beings, that covers every part of the Mishkan, every part of, we could look at it as our community. We could also look at the Mishkan as like us in microcosm. Mm-hmm. Um, the rabbis talk about that extensively. Right. Um, and so, so it's Paul. like every, yeah, so does Paul. Exactly. The whole body and man, yeah, the body really has that image, right? The body is the whole of our community, but it's also us as individuals that is entirely called by God, holy of holies, capable of t- just by touch, making other things holy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, it is all holiest of holies to God's eyes. And that, uh, right. I was so excited because the way that you, uh, uh, made that distinction with uh the you know gan eden gan eden where it's like it all of the earth is eden to god but we got part of it 
it's the same here to us. Like all, all parts of us, our lives, our community, all of that is holy. Mm-hmm. We may only be able to see a part of that, but right. God sees all of it as holiest of holies, even though we make these distinctions say, oh, this part, the deepest part in, you know, for <laughs> to put it in, uh, you know, modern parlance, you know, our heads, that's the, that's where I am. That's where right. I live. That's the holiest part, you know, stub my toe, whatever, who cares? Right. Um, and God's like, nope, the whole thing. Yeah. Reminds me of Ezekiel and the picture of the kingdom there. And it talks about the river and the river when it touches the unclean parts of the water, it makes that part clean. And I think that's a flip for those of us who are raised in a like don't go to the movies and don't listen to the Beatles because they're bad. <laughs> yes. Corrupt you. You know, it's the yes. opposite. And it's so Jesus. It's like, okay, yeah, like, right. Like, sin is powerful compared to you, but compared to the kingdom, the kingdom is that much stronger than sin. So, you know, don't worry about it. Sin's not as, <laughs> as much of a problem Just anymore. Just <laughs> stop sinning, though. He does say still stop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And uh, and and I think that's the difference between the 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 Adam of dirt and the Adam that is you know God's selling. Um Man, yeah, and we could keep talking about that. We'll get into the practical side of this in a second. So let's finish it out and talk about this <laughs> incense, which we have a hanging thread from the very beginning of this Mishkan piece about the Tamid offering, this, this secondary rhythm of, uh, you know, lighting the candle and, or lighting the menorah, pardon me, not a candle, whoops, um, lighting the menorah and bringing this incense offering, uh, to God. And now we're about to learn what the heck the incense is supposed to be. Oh boy. So Brent, take us home. Verse 34, then the Lord said to Moshe, take fragrant spices, gum, resin, onica, and galbanum, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it to powder and place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant Law in the tent of meeting, where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. Whoever makes incense like it to enjoy its fragrance must be cut off from their people. And that is the end of the chapter and the end of what we're going to be talking about today. So this incense, we might hear a lot of the similar language. We have the repetition of um, being cut off from your people. We have the similar prohibition to not make uh, make it for your own purposes or to do other things with it. Um, is there anything else that sticks out to anyone? Uh, my eyebrows go up whenever I hear malach, whenever I hear about salt, because, you know, I love Lot's wife. Um, go back <laughs> yes. to that episode. But also um, here it's melach is sounds the same. It's spelled almost the same way as the word for melech, which is uh, to rule. So it goes back to our rulership um, image from Better Sheep. Yeah. Interesting. Now, I've seen, well, anyway, (laughs) I'm not walking. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. I believe in us. We can stay on the trail. (laughs) Yes. Okay. I'll I'll point out one thing with no commentary beyond it, but just uh, the, the contrast of in the last portion, talking about the oil, it says it is sacred and you are to consider it sacred. Whereas mm-hmm. in this in this portion, it says, um, it shall be most holy to you. Um, consider it holy 
to the Lord, but it doesn't say that it is holy or sacred. Oh, interesting. Um, so I, I think just 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 to you know just to throw that out there. It's a little bit more complicated than that in the Hebrew, but we're not going to do it. <laughs> yes. No. 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 That this is where we're going in the Hebrew. Oh. Okay. Um, this <laughs> is mind. the thing to me that I think is interesting. It says, uh, "Don't make it for yourselves. Holy, it will be for you." Mm-hmm. For Adonai, right? Like that. That is very different from how it was phrased in the. In the previous chapter, before God said, that's mine, so it's holy, and you should relate to it as if it's holy. Right. Here, it's very, very different. Uh, don't make it for yourselves. It will be holy for you, for me. Right. That is a much stranger dynamic. Now, L, feel free to yank my leash if this is... Nope. G- stretching the boundaries of um, the the grammar just like the resin so (laughs) i think um (laughs) yes uh so you know if we're if we're following along with day six i think it's pretty obvious you know if the oil is the tselem to me that means okay the incense this has got to be that that demut that likeness so What's going on here? This isn't this likeness. Is, God doesn't say it's it belongs to God, which I think is interesting. First of all, but this little relationship of holiness is that we're we're not supposed to make it for ourselves. Specifically, not so that we can smell it, and it's supposed to be holy for us to God. Like the way in which it's holy to us is for God's sake. Hmm. We keep God's likeness holy for the sake of God. And think about this practically. God's likeness, you know, we we talked about God's image being just kind of this broad, you know, silhouette, you know, you know, humanoid uh, sort of like it's got the same basic shape. But now we're talking about the internal, like the the character, the personality, just like, you know, oh, that that's that way that the nose is angled. That's totally, you know, your mom. Hmm. It's the same thing here. And God says, that's your job to keep holy. Just like we talked about before, that's our job to to nasa, to work out. Hmm. But now God's saying it, you also have to keep it holy for me. You preserve my my face mm. to the world. And isn't that so true that the, the actual inner character of God, the features of God, that is something that we really have a huge hand in controlling, like how people perceive God's name and God's character. Makes me think of the Ten Commandments and the, you know, you shall not take my name in vain. It's kind of like you shall not take my face into and uh, uh, vanity is kind of one of the ways to translate that. Yes, exactly. My my face isn't your brand, right? <laughs> I'm not your. Uh, uh, I'm not uh, your mascot. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh boy! Well, what a way to finish out, man! Talking about our personal responsibility, both in making our demut like God's demut as His kids, as members of His household, but also how we have to maintain that sanctity, that holiness, um, and that's up to us to do well. And it, it gets better too because this incense. It says it, it uses that same word we talked about earlier of betrothal that's translated as meeting. It uses that same thing here. The incense is for that moment. Mm. 
God's saying like us pursuing that likeness is like exactly the same as us meeting God and Mm -hmm. God is trusting us to preserve what we see in those moments Mm -hmm. and let that be our face when we go out into the world. And the one thing I want to back up the parallel we see between these two, between Selim and Demut is that both, if we are not faithful with them, we are cut off. We're not, Mm -hmm. we're not being threatened with death. We're saying, you are not part of the family if you mess with God's image and God's likeness. Mm-hmm. That is the thing where, you know, God's... Draws a line. Yeah, th- that's that's a line that's drawn. Yeah, and, back to that treading down versus drawing out. It's yeah, a moment yes, that the foot comes yes. down, y'all. Oof. So now, okay, now we back way up. And I want to think about this in incarnational terms. How do we actually do this? So first let's, you know, we're going to kind of, this episode is kind of a little weird because it's a bit of a circle and I'm going to bring us now back to that golden altar. That is us as is the entire Mishkan and the Tamid that is brought on the golden altar that we are not just called to consider repentance and change every day, but internally we are called to have an internal rhythm of meeting God, of considering Mm -hmm. God's face, Mm -hmm. God's features, and being willing to meet God and look at that face and those features and be transformed in a different way, not with external behaviors like we see outside the tent, but Mm -hmm. inside how, I mean, in short, how do we become more Christ-like? How do we become more like God? But it's important for us to know that that is as much that inverse side of it, not transformation to like adhere to a standard or to, to avoid, um, you know, cycles of, of, uh, hurt and suffering. That's, and that's very important, but deeper down what God considers even more sacred is this regular rhythm alongside that of how do I become like, how do I work at that demut to that likeness? How do I look, uh, in order so people see like an actual familial resemblance, like like right. exactly what you said earlier, L. Like we're not not just having that rulership. Uh, gosh, there I go again. Um, I think it is a word. It is so. a word. Yeah, I can <laughs> relief. I don't know why. Yeah, podcasting messes with your brain. <laughs> it's almost um, as if there's a couple of people listening that makes you feel a little bit different yeah, exactly, about your words. Exactly. Um, that internal like trying to become like God, trying to meet God, we are invited to transform in that way as well. And to see that as a a constant rhythm that we return to twice a day, the same as, you know, God invites us to repent. We are also invited to be rooted in our identity with God, but also at the same time, uh, I'm not sure if it, if it was L who said this earlier or Brent, but walking that line between um, uh, challenge and uh, uh, like confrontation. Or actually, wait, no, I'm sorry. I'm remembering a conversation I have with someone about a sermon. Um, <laughs> the, really yeah. crossing the streams. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, some my goodness. My takeaway, I think, that I'm going to drive home thinking about is pretty along that line of the distinction between the incense practice and the sacrifice practice. And sometimes I know when I'm 
you know, cramming in time to do my disciplines while I have a toddler mm. and a four month old. It's about like, okay, if I don't do this, my day is going to go way worse. So <laughs> I got to align myself <laughs> with the Lord here, do my things, um, which I've got a stack, you know, and it's kind of more from that, uh, not atonement in terms of theology. I'm, I'm not talking about that, but it's from more of a sin perspective of like, if I don't do this, I'm going to get weighed down by stuff that I don't need weighing me down versus the invitation and talking about incense is it's just like, uh, yes, those things help me not to get bogged down in whatever is popping up for me. But it also is a time that I'm invited into just for being, just for um, drawing closer to the creator so that I look more like him. Um and it doesn't have to do with any of the sin that might pop up during the day. So great reminder for me. And I, I think too with that, it's like, yeah, like not only are we like that invitation also, I think comes with an assurance, like just like it's freeing to know like, Hey, you can show up and you can change at any time. That's not necessarily pressure as much as it is invitation. Like if that cycle of suffering has worn you down and you are ready to step out of it, everything is prepared for you to make that change. And I think this is even more challenging in that it's like it has an element of transcendence. Like at any moment, you could see part of the face of God and and transcend all that stuff that's going on around you and find something that is both like higher than you, above you, but also incarnated in that moment and that 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 isn't out of place in our day-to-day lives that is just as much that kind of transcendent transformation is just as much a part of our daily rhythm as the need to you know bring justice and be aware of how um cycles of suffering around us might be going or like you said just being good stewards of our time which man that's an ironic thing to say on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) here's the other thing i want to remind us of though is the center of the mishkan piece that we just read right the census and the basin of you only have a piece of it and this process only works when it is being washed over with community. Like this can happen anytime, anywhere, but those rhythms of transformation and seeing the face of God, you have to be willing to see that everywhere, Mm. literally everywhere in the people, in the, in the raw community, the, the things that you look at and you say, Oh, that's trashy. That's not really deep. Like look for God everywhere that there is always incense and if you can smell it, go after it. Yeah. That is that is the presence of God. Big Corinthians energy there. Ex- yes. And and two with that. Christ. That's where I think the the uh, anointing oil comes in because this isn't just true with our broader community but also our own bodies, our own selves. We often treat bodies as like something we do trample down and um as much as I think like fasting is a not just an acceptable but a, a really good uh, spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Um, it, sometimes it's a little easier for us to uh, uh, be in that trampling mindset when we think of what is spiritual. And God, God's selim and God's demut are not things that oppose each other and disagree. Um, and so I think that we have to be aware that like, as much as we need to wash our understanding of how God's like inner being will transcend uh, and transform us, 
that that can happen like with a random person on the sidewalk. It can happen with, through a secular person as much as a person of faith or a person of a different faith. Because mm-hmm. it's all holy. It's all Eden. Exactly. Similarly, your own body. Like it, it, like folks, it could happen while you're on the toilet. That's okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> like, Not a direction I thought we'd go. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's, that's something that we, we don't like going there. But like your, just as your body's needs are something that like, you know, God's not shy about. Um, God knows about it. And God says that they're as important as our other needs. Um, yeah. Our spiritual needs. And, and when we invite God to show up in all the places that God says he's going to show up in anyway, we get to see your face everywhere. And, and I think that's where it comes back to that altar. And if you see yourself as that bronze altar, morning and evening, when do you smell that incense, that, that presence? Um, and, you know, like other sacrifices, the end point, the atonement happens when the smell, the smoke goes up before God. And this, this whole thing with incense boils it all down and says, there's not even a sacrifice. Like we read earlier, you're not supposed to put a sacrifice on there. Like you said, El, it's just presence. Just mm-hmm. the presence in and of itself is enough to get that fragrant incense that brings God to a place where you can meet. Mm-hmm. And it is that presence that God is calling you to preserve day and night, not just self-awareness, but awareness that you can be more than you actually believe that you are, that, that you can be more like God than you think is possible. A lot of times we focus on like, oh, God's perfect. We aren't. And um, and sure, that's important. I don't think there are a lot of people out there who actually think they're perfect, although, you know, those people aren't usually very fun to be around. But uh, most of us are pretty self-aware of that. And I think what this is challenging us to is where do you have a a actual rhythm in your life where whether it's you in your body, you in raw community, you have an awareness that um, while you don't have all of it, while you have a portion of it, at any moment, are you preserving enough presence to actually meet with God in a radical way that that unlocks things in you that you may not actually at this moment, as you're listening to this podcast, you may think are not actually reasonable or possible for you. And God says, if you can't do that, like if you can't treat that as holy, that kind of presence as holy, that's not the body. Um, and I don't say that to say, oh, if, if you don't do this, God's going to kick you out. But more that that's how, that's how serious God wants us to take the reality of like, we are building Demut. We have Tselem. Mm-hmm. We have God's image. But that is something God's given us so that we can actively build this deeper, more transcendent connection. And that can happen anytime, anywhere. And how do we make ourselves open and aware to that? Like I, I know for myself, I do meditation. I, I've started burning a lot of incense because it reminds me mm-hmm. of that. God invites that to be a daily rhythm. Yeah, I think we should have a whole episode with the whole crew about what everybody does for spiritual disciplines. Um, I get that email sometimes, and I'm sure everybody does interesting things. So Yes, absolutely. Have to do it. Absolutely. Well, it, it has been a pleasure, Yehoshua. <laughs> it has been a pleasure. 
Oh, man, I can't wait for whatever trouble we'll get into next time. <laughs> in, a, in an attempt to uh, rein this episode in and only make it our second longest episode, uh, we'll just say you can get a hold of us each by email. That's right. Uh, Josh at gmail.com, lgroverfricks at gmail.com, baymocohost at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, Marty, you know how to find him, too. So go to baymonastipeship.com. Uh, we'll have, I think a couple of links in the show notes if we can gather the right things. So check out the show notes for this episode, but thanks for joining us on the Baymo podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. And let's probably be honest here, over the course of this episode, somebody probably did have to go to the bathroom. So hopefully they can appreciate the uh, holiness of that moment. (laughs) You know, I guess God made us that way for a reason. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm